Welcome to the PMPA's Speaking of Precision podcast featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller, David Wynn, and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA's Speaking of Precision podcast. Carly Kistler-Miller and David Wynn are joining me today, and we are going to discuss my reflection on 50 years in manufacturing. Welcome, Carly. Welcome, David. Thanks, Miles. Thank you, Miles. 50 years, 5-0. 50 years ago, I became clock number 1906 at U.S. Steel's Ohio Works. I was shoveling iron ore spillage and center spillage in their center plant. Center plant is where you take all the waste products from every other process and put it into a big container and ignite it and kind of turn it into a slag. And then that agglomerate gets charged up into the, uh, into the blast furnace, real heavy in metallic. Wow, and you're still in manufacturing after that. Uh, I'm still in manufacturing, but uh, because of that, I've, I've, I've learned some lessons along the way. Ah, hence the reflection, okay. Hence the reflection. Please share, Sensei. Uh, lesson number one, safety first. I'm not surprised that came out of your mouth. Yeah. Did you ever wonder where that came from? No. So Judge Gary was one of the first uh, CEOs at, uh, at U.S. Steel, and Gary, Indiana is where the steel plants are, mm -hmm. and he, fatalities were very commonplace <laughs> in the steel industry in the early days, and one of the first things he had on his agenda was improving the safety of his, his plants. And so the very first item on any meeting agenda was safety first. And so that's where that phrase came from. And, um, you know, when I started, we actually had steam-powered rolling mills. Um, it was prior to OSHA. So the respirators to protect us from the dust and the carcinogens and the radon daughters that were emitted by all this ore, um, they were rated by the Mine Safety Administration. They were MSA, not OSHA approved. So, mine safety, M-I-N-E. M-I-N-E, yeah. Underground. Underground. Okay. That's that's what our air quality looked like. <laughs> wow. That's what our air quality looked like. It's um, like being in the coal mine on the floor of the steel mill. Exactly. So everything was lethal. We've got, you know, hundreds of horsepower motors, conveyor belts, anything can grab you, moving high rates of speed, uh, pinch points. Like I said, fire, the stuff's incandescent. Um, plenty, plenty to do, plenty to dodge. So safety first was the, uh, the first lesson. I learned I was a bag of water <laughs> in a very sharp and hot place. So your lesson learned was everything can kill you. Everything can kill you. You've got to be awake. You've got to be alert. And this PPE is, that's what keeps you alive. Okay. That... My dad always told me, protect yourself at all times, just like a fighter. Always be on the lookout. Smart. Absolutely. Everything can kill you. All right. What else? 
So uh, this is going to sound downright quaint and charming to a lot of people, but uh, I, I got a very early lesson in 1976 when I moved from, uh, from uh, labor to, uh, to the Blast Furnace Burden Clerk, and I would fill out a report that uh, listed all the iron production in, at the Youngstown Blast Furnaces for the day, and then I would have to send that report into Pittsburgh. And then uh, that was how they managed the company. The uh, CEO at the time knew he couldn't get any more steel out of it than he put iron into it. So his, his financials were always predicated on the iron production. So the blast furnace iron reports were the important thing. And so I had this, this machine, David. It was, it was about, it was bigger than a bread box and the front cover would come off and I'd put my report in it. There'd be two little clips. There was a drum on it. And then I'd, I'd push the door back and then I'd dial a phone number and then I'd put the phone handset into these, this thing that had like two earpieces. I'd clamp it in and hit this button and then the drum would start turning like an old ditto machine. And it'd go whirr, 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 And about four and a half minutes later, my one sheet of paper report would be received in Pittsburgh. Sounds like an early fax machine. It was an early fax machine. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it was not, you know, and done. Yeah, I it saw was. Yeah, I had to use a special pencil. I had to use a number one pencil to get the contrast that it needed for the scanner to pick up clearly the numbers. So, but four and a half minutes for a page of paper. Four and a half minutes. I don't it. know what the speed on that transfer is, but it really hurts. Yeah, well, it wasn't even 300 baud, I don't think. But <laughs> you know what? Um, compared to having to teletype rows and columns and numbers, this was a godsend. Yeah. This was a godsend. So the lesson I learned is New technology is your friend, even when you have to take the telephone and put it in the thing and clamp it. And, you know, it was technology was my friend. Believe it or not, when I first started in the shop, we still received our purchase orders via fax machine. <laughs> fax machines were were still an important part of business as as late as the early two thousands. Yeah. We got a lot of reports in. Even here at PMPA, we got a lot of reports in over the fact. Well, it was a dedicated line and safe. Yeah. It's actually still safe. Yeah, I think when we try and <laughs> communicate with schools. That's how you the IRS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so safety first, new technology. Any other lessons in those 50 years? So, um yeah, I came from Youngstown, and Youngstown, we had a river called the Mahoning River, and unlike our, our friends up north in Cleveland, our, our river didn't catch fire. However, it never froze because it was a thermal dump for yeah. all the cooling water from all the blast furnaces and all the mills. So my, my dad never saw ice on the Mahoning River, and my grandfather said he'd never seen ice on the Mahoning River. And as far as he knew, Mahoning River water was special because it wouldn't freeze. Special. <laughs> that was, That's a word for yeah, it. Yeah, well, when the smoke <laughs> came out of the smokestacks, that was money. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
No was smoke, no money. Contaminating yeah. the yeah. water. Special water. Well, it was just heat, we thought. Just heat. Just heat. So um, in uh, 1970, uh, this, this, this guy named Richard Nixon created the uh, EPA. And in 1972, they uh, passed in, in Congress and he signed the uh, Clean Water Act, which was actually um, an update of the uh, Federal Water Pollution Control Act in 1948. And uh, so what, what that did to our, our steel town in, in Youngstown was it absolutely destroyed the steel industry because we could no longer dump our waste heat nor any kind of chemical loads into the Mahoning River. The Mahoning River was now classified as a cold water fishery. Cold water fishery. Cold water fishery. It's an urban sewer, and it was magically declared to be a cold water fishery. Hate to see the fish. Yeah, well. Are you catching a lot of trout on the Mahoning River? There, there, I, I <laughs> wager there's no trout in the Mahoning River to this day either. So that resulted in my transferring to Lorraine because my steel mill job was gone. Thank you, EPA. And um, so I started again at Lorraine shoveling iron ore. Uh, they eventually found out I had a degree and I joined environmental engineering. We invented a process called stage charging which reduced the visible emissions from our coke plant. And as a result, I got uh, promoted to be a lab foreman, so environment became my friend. <laughs> so what's so, your lesson learned so, here? So uh, the lesson that I learned is that sustainability is, is more than just short-term profit. Sustainability is long-term for the greatest good and not just the expedient thing that we we want re, we really want now uh, maybe it's okay to have a little longer term view so that was that was that was my coming of age on the environment it's a From good lesson lost my job to it became my career accelerator good lesson all right any other lessons so uh, quality quality was another one of those existential threats um, in the uh, early 80s, the Japanese uh, miracle was really destroying American competitiveness. Uh, the Japanese were using the lessons of Deming and Duran and uh, had very high quality through their use of statistical process controls. As a result, there were massive layoffs in the steel industry, and at my plant, I was one of I don't know how many, it's almost 200 first-line supervisors, foremen, and uh, technical people were laid off because Japanese, Japanese quality rule. Um, so quality, or lack thereof, became an important lesson. Uh, no quality, no job. My next job was as the quality control manager at Bliss and Laughlin Steel, where we put in statistical process controls. <laughs> and uh, at the end of my term at Bliss and Laughlin, we had actually captured back the, uh, the Ford water pump shaft business from the Japanese in Puerto Rico. And uh, so we, we met the challenge. While that was- I'm noticing a trend. 
your 50 years in manufacturing, whatever took you down always became your next challenge. <laughs> it was, it, it became the accelerator to yeah. go forward, right? It really did. And so the interesting part of that was I relied, as a, as a steel guy, I relied on my colleagues at PMPA on the quality committee. We'd share best practices. We'd share how to use sampling plans. We'd share how to, you know, do I really need a, an X-bar chart or can I use an individual's chart? We were really big in, into, you know, sharing what we knew. And my quality control experience on the quality committee with PMPA uh, ended up at PMPA. How's that? Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I can't I deny I keep trying that. to convince you of that. I, I can't deny that. <laughs> so is there like a, an overarching lesson that you came away with upon reflection? You know, there, there really is one lesson. All these things really tell, tell one story, and that's without continuous improvement, we have no employment. Hmm. If we didn't improve the technology at the Youngstown Mills, we won't have the mills. We didn't and they didn't, right? If we didn't improve the way we communicated, we'd have more people hitting teletypes, right? So continuous improvement became the thing. So uh, I've been with PMPA now. I've helped people solve all kinds of process problems. And it's, the important thing is not to solve the immediate problem, it's to apply the lesson learned so that problem never comes back again. So, um, you know, we have a, a commitment to improve. If we don't improve, we're not going to go anywhere, and entropy will drag us back, drag us back down. So um, I, I would say the other lesson I got out of this is that showing up to work was my superpower. It's pretty hard to stay employed in manufacturing if you don't show up. You know, you don't punch in, you don't get paid. And so my superpower was I showed up bad days, cold days, Thanksgiving, whatever, and did my best. My best was good enough. superpower was doing your best. Yeah, well, had to be there <laughs> your, to notice Your advantage it. was showing up. From your first <laughs> shovel full at Ohio Works to this day, yeah. have a personal continuous improvement. You may not have known what to call it in 1973, but you've strove for personal growth, for personal continuous improvement. You, you pull the thread on that for 50 years, and it brings you to what you are today. You're the sum of your experience. Well, uh, thank you for that. That's I think that's exactly right. But I had had my vision. My vision when I started off was I was going to be a lab. I wanted to run a lab. I wanted to work in a lab. And once I got there, it's like, well, I'm still a young guy. What am I going to do now? I don't <laughs> want to just be playing with instruments and flasks. And, and so, uh, yeah, to have that commitment to get better. We're going to amend what, something you said earlier. You said, without vision, the people will perish. With vision, people achieve early. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I'll take it. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You don't want to miss one. Also, check out our Speaking of Suppliers podcast to hear how our technical members can help your shops.
For additional information, please visit pmpa.org where you can find our knowledge centers filled with articles, webinars, more podcasts, and other resources just for precision machining. And if you aren't already taking advantage of a PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to learn how we can help you thrive. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly and Miles? Because Because we are are better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision.